This is No Stop Lights with Ken Ard. Welcome back to another edition of No Stop Lights. I don't know why I say that. I mean, if you, if you found us, you know what you're watching. It's not like we showed up unannounced. I want to thank our sponsors, Mickey Fins, Marlboro PD Electric Co-op, Schofields, Ace Hardware, Carolina Bank, Pepsi of Florence. We're always searching for quality content. And, 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 and the, the hosts um, kind of um, searches the countryside for quality content, but at times it kind of falls out of the sky. It ends up in the most unexpected place imaginable. We, we host a radio show. This is a complimentary product to Wake Up Carolina, a radio show we host in the PD region of South Carolina's Florence uh, specifically. And every now and then, um, despite our feeble attempt to be, uh, you know, above average, every now and then we do find something we think is worthy of um of consumption and today is one of those days so it won't be you know the rant the typical 20 30 minute rant about what's wrong with the world if the world would only do what ken says do we'd all be in a much better place instead of that we've got a couple of interviews that that are um phone interviews we think you'll find them interested they're both politically centric drew mckissick is the scgop chairman uh recently re-elected scgop chairman um, and the national co-chair of the RNC Republican National Committee, he'll be with us, um, and we discuss kind of where the um, where where the party is, where the party's supposed to be, where the party needs to go. It's in a um, it's it's in a bit of a uh, rambunctious state. I think some of what we talk about, we use a lot of weird analogies. Um, music is something very important to me. It kind of marks the time. So we talk about you know comparing a political party and a movement to you know, a rock band, you'll get some of that in the, um, in the uh, phone interview with Drew McKissick. And then on the other side, we were fortunate enough to be joined by Jim Jordan, Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio, called in. We had a kind of a 10 or 12-minute conversation with the, uh, the congressman. I guess the national media would call him a firebrand, and, you know, the, the, the tractors would call him a grandstander. But, but he's been somebody very forcefully articulating the need for reform in Washington. And that's what we're motivated by. That's what I'm most interested in. You know, the ideological battles, big government, small government. I mean, that they ebb and flow. Uh, it it kind of goes back to the Hamiltonian and Jeffersonian debate of our founding. But, but, but I think there's a movement in Washington today that is insider versus outsider. I mean, that's kind of the consummate argument in American politics today, that the insiders get one deal and the outsiders get another deal. Jim Jordan would be, I guess, an insider, having been elected to Congress, but but he speaks as if he buys into this outsider narrative. There's a double standard. There's a double-tiered justice system. And, um, and we felt the Drew McKissick interview and the Jim Jordan interview were worthy of a podcast. So instead of, once again, yours truly, um, brilliantly articulating uh, what he thinks should happen to the world, <laughs> you're going to hear... Um, yours truly ask questions and take answers from um from two serious people in American politics, SCGOP chairman Drew McKissick and Congressman Jim Jordan. Hope you enjoy. I've used the analogy this morning in the Republican primary that Republican voters have historically been coached into believing, let's go to a Christopher Cross and James Taylor concert. And the Republican voters said, enough of Christopher Cross and James Taylor. 
I want some Guns N' Roses and Metallica. And that's who I think of when I think of Congressman Jim Jordan. I mean, he's one of the, and I, and I say this in the most complimentary way imaginable, he's a guy who's willing to take on things that Republicans have historically not taking on in aggressive fashion. And he's with us this morning. Congressman, good morning. How are you? Uh, I'm fine. Good to be with you guys. I've been introduced, uh, I mean, a lot, a lot of different ways, a lot of different times. That that one has never been used. That was uh, that's why I was laughing. Guns and Roses and Jim Jordan. It's never. I don't know if that's ever been the same sentence. But uh, God bless you guys. Good to be with you. But morning. I mean, but but no, and and I mean this sincerely. We historically have believed, and I'm a former office holder in South Carolina, and, and I was yeah. coached and trained and taught to believe this is an ideological battle. This is big government, small government. But but it's morphed into something different, Congressman. It's morphed into a oh, genuine yes. distrust that half the country have of people who have assumed enormous authority over our life, and you seem to represent our interest. Was that intentional, or did you kind of back into that job? No, I think, I think you're right on, on, on your assessment, and I think the divide today was best expressed by Sarah Huckabee Sanders when she gave the response to the State of the Union address. Um, I thought she did a great job, but, but she, she said the, the, the one line that really stood out to me, she said the divide in America today is normal versus crazy. And it's so true. I mean, every position the left now has taken, and the left now controls, unfortunately, the, one of our two major parties, the Democrat Party, every position they've taken is crazy. They, they, they want to defund the police. That's crazy. It, it is crazy to think boys should compete against girls in sports. That's just, that's just crazy. It's, it's crazy to think non-citizens should be able to vote in our elections, but that's what the left has. It's crazy. Think about this one. It is crazy to let a Chinese spy balloon fly across the country. And the key words in that sentence are Chinese and spy. It is crazy to let it fly across the country, the continental United States, and then shoot it down. I'm just a country boy from Ohio, but I'd have probably shot it down if I was the guy in charge in the White House. I'd have probably shot it down before it went across the country and spied on everything. So you just go – you can go issue after issue, and it's it's crazy. So I I just feel like the Republican Party is now on the side that says we think America is the greatest country ever, not perfect, but the greatest country ever, and we're for common sense. Congressman, let's – on the crazy issue, let's go to scary. Here's what scares me. It scares me that the IRS has two sets of rules. The FBI yeah. has two sets of rules. The administrative state in yeah. Washington that you understand far better than I do has kind of a double standard. Um, how do we address, how do you partially restore confidence back in these agencies within our federal government that we perceive to have a double standard? Yeah, you point out you point out all the double standards. We got one that we're going to have a hearing on in two weeks. The Durham report that shows the double standard how they treated President Trump. You point them out every single time. That's our duty, constitutional duty. You propose legislation to fix it, but more importantly, particularly in divided government, you use the approach, uh, the appropriations process, you use the power of the purse to say we are not going to let this particular agency and that particular agency spend American tax dollars in that particular way. And and that is a critical. For example, here's one simple example. Uh, the, the FBI wants a new headquarters, hundreds of millions of dollars for a new headquarters. No, no, we are not going to appropriate money for you to build a new headquarters, particularly when we, in light of all the things that we've now discovered the FBI has been involved in. Namely, here, here's the one that stands out the most, the one that the Richmond field office of the FBI put together a memorandum. That memorandum talked about radical traditional Catholics, called them extremists. And then as you read through the memorandum, their definition of a radical traditional Catholic was basically if you're pro-life and you're pro-family, you're a radical. It's, it's, it's frightening. Now, thank goodness 
The FBI has rescinded that memo. My guess is they only rescinded it, though, because a whistleblower came forward and gave it to us. So th- th- that is the kind of thing where you have to show how bad it is, but then you have to look at the power of the purse, which is the power of the founders, one of the legislative, legislative branch to primarily have. We control all spending and taxing bills. They have to start in the House of Representatives. That's, the, that's how you ultimately begin to rein this stuff in. Congressman, two of three Republican voters identify as America first. As a congressman yep. from Ohio, what does America first mean to you? Just that. How, there was a survey done last fall. They asked Democrats, do you believe that America is the greatest nation ever? More than half of the Democrats surveyed said they did not agree with that statement. Now think about that. All your listeners, everyone listening to your show right now, we all agree that America, while not perfect, is the greatest nation ever. I said, I told, I told one group, next to Jesus, the best thing ever happened to this country, this world, excuse me, is the United States of America. And so that is that America first says we're the greatest, not perfect, but the greatest, and we're going to make decisions that benefit the citizens, the 330-some million people who live in this great country that benefit our Constitution, are consistent with the Bill of Rights, consistent with the First Amendment, for goodness sake, which is really under attack by today's left. That's what America First is, is, is about. And when we have an America First policy, it benefits the entire world because when America leads with our values, our principles, our constitutional system, the world is a safer and better place. That's what America First is all about. What does Jim Jordan, what does Congressman Jim Jordan wish the American president to do in regards to trade and China? That would be a very specific and policy question. I'd love to hear your take on uh, America, the, the, the body politic in America and its strategy toward what I perceive to be the imminent geopolitical adversary that is China. Well, I think you're right in that, 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 that takeaway as well. Uh, and what we need to do is what President Trump was doing. He was the first one to stand up to China. Look, I'm, I'm for free markets and free trade, but there's some times where you've got you to gotta use the, the, the power of the tariff, uh, and, and President Trump was willing to do that. It helped uh, our manufacturing sector. It helped our working-class American families. It helped America because it put America first. One of the, one of the many reasons why I'm for President Trump, and I hope he's our next president, I'm, I'm strongly supporting him. I, I've never seen a president who, when he got into office, did more what he said he was going to do. I mean, he told us he was going to reduce regulations. He did. He said he was going to cut taxes. He did. He said he was going to build the wall. He did. He said he was going to put conservatives on the court. He did. He said he was going to put the embassy in Jerusalem. He did. And that simple that, – that, that move that everyone else had said they would do, but no, once, once they got in office, they, they found excuses not to do what they told people they were going to do. When he did that, when he put the embassy in Jerusalem, that is what led to the Abraham Accords, which has helped so much the situation in the Middle East. Um, so, and I could keep going, but the, the, he's the guy who did what he told the American people he was going to do. Why I want him back in the White House. Last question. We would expect the Democrats to stand in opposition to a Jim Jordan, to a J.D. Vance, to a Donald Trump. We don't expect the Republicans to be as difficult to deal with. What do you say to the Republicans who just won't let go of the former uh, way we conducted? I mean, how do how do how do we get some of these outliers now to embrace the America First agenda? Well, I think that, I think they will, uh, particularly when President Trump wins his primary. Um, and and you know how you know you know President Trump is on the right track. I, I, based on all the opposition against, you know, he got all those things done in spite of everyone in this town being against him. Every Democrat was against him when he was was president. Half the Republicans were against him, as you point out. Um, all the people, everyone in the mainstream press was against him, and maybe most importantly, all the bureaucracy. 
all, all the swamp, the, the people, the permanent people who work in the bureaucracy who think they're the ones who are supposed to run things. That's not how our system works. So he got all that done in spite of that. Uh, I, that that's why I like him. I, I love his attitude. And I think he, the toughness he displays is exactly what's needed to deal with today's left and, frankly, to deal with China and Russia and other, other uh, uh, foreign powers. Right now what we have with Joe Biden is, is, I think, weakness being projected from the Oval Office. And when you have that, bad guys around the planet do bad things. When you had President Trump in the White House, I think they understood this guy, this guy is, is projects strength and is willing to use it in, in the appropriate way. Um, that, I think, is a big, big uh, key difference as well. And, again, it's one of, one of the key reasons why I'm for him. Very well explained. Congressman, thank you for your time. You're loved in you South bet. Carolina, and, um, and we wish you well in the future. Thank you very much. You bet. Take care. Business and politics have become my life, and that's a pretty intense world. I think Drew will agree with that. Drew McKissick, SCGOP, chairman and, um, and co-chair of the National Party. Drew, it does breed a degree of paranoia and suspicion. Am I right or wrong? Well, you know, was it? I think Richard Nixon once said, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean somebody's not out to get you. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that is, I've heard that, and that is a great quote and accurate um, nonetheless. So, so I want to jump into the subject at hand, and I want to get your take on this because you are a, our expert uh, about Republican politics and where the party is and where you think it's headed and, and, and how many are willing to go along. We had John Decker with us, and John's a, um, a national editor and White House correspondent for Gray Television. He joins us on Thursday morning at about 7.30. And John talked about the Pence announcement, the Christie announcement, and, and I, I kind of offered up an opinion from outside the Beltway that historically Republicans inside the Beltway have preferred a Christopher Cross or James Taylor concert. The Republican primary voter right now are looking for Metallica or Guns N' Roses. Is, is, that, is that a proper analogy? Are, are, we, are we as rambunctious as I suspect we are, Drew? Well, look, we are an independent lot. There's no doubt about that. You know, uh, I mean, it's, it's a broad cross, you know, uh, a spectrum, if you will, all across the country. Uh, but I think you're definitely right in terms of the evolution of some tastes. You know, maybe a little Leonard Skinner thrown in there as well. <laughs> uh, a little Hank Jr. There you go. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, there, there's a, there's a diverse, difference of opinions and difference of uh, um uh, appetites, I guess you would say, in terms of style. And, you know, we, we've talked about this a little bit just in terms of, you know, what, what happened in 15 and 16. You know, you had a candidate at that time in Donald Trump who had 16 other candidates running against him for the Republican nomination. And, you know, one, he talked about some issues which most of the folks in the Beltway hadn't been talking about up to that point for the last 20 to 30 years, give or take. Uh, that attracted some people, but then also the style, because there's, there's a there's an appetite for authenticity, and, and this, this applies. I tell this to all candidates: you know, no matter who you are, what you are, be authentic to to your style, be authentic to what you are, what you believe, because if you try to fake it, you're not going to impress anybody. And people can spot a fake. Uh, and politics, you know, on both sides, Republican, Democrat, I would say, you know, have become you know sort of plastic, if you will. Uh, over the years, and a lot of it is fed by you know the sort of you know consultant class infrastructure, if you will, uh, and you know, but people people appreciate something that is authentic, often that is authentic. Excuse me, it's early in the morning, uh, and you know, in that election cycle, people would look at you know Donald Trump and the way he was talking about issues, and they would think, if nothing else, the guy's authentic. <laughs> this is what he believes. 
uh, and it attracted people. Uh, and I think there's there's still a huge appetite for authenticity. And it doesn't mean any particular style, but again, you know, say for instance, Tim Scott. Tim Scott is a very authentic person. Um, you know, and I think he's a fantastic communicator of conservative values and how they're how they're relevant to our daily lives. He's authentic to you know uh, how he was brought up and uh, uh, you know his past and 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 what he's made of himself and so forth. That's authentic. Uh, you know, there are a lot of candidates who who do a good job getting that across, and it translates to people. They they understand it. They recognize it. Drew, is it is it fair to say that yeah, authenticity. And a bit wild-eyed. I mean, I think of Trump, and I think of some of these. I mean, a bit wild-eyed. I don't want to say you know back crap crazy, but but when you look at Mike Pence, and and, and stick with me for a second, because I think there's something here, and I want to get your take on this. Mike yeah. Pence is everything we respect about humanity. He's good. He's decent. He's moral. He's ethical, but he's not very charismatic. He's not very. I don't want to say interesting because I don't know the guy. But, but you see where I'm headed. I mean, he fits the, mm-hmm. the typical descript of what we want a Republican candidate to adhere to. Is, is, do, do we have to find kind of a hybrid of that? I mean, we can't forsake morality and ethics and virtue because we want to be entertaining and authentic, can we? Right, sure, sure. No, I mean, you know, getting to the question of what do we need to find, you know, in my opinion, uh, we need to find what is going to excite the most conservative right of center voters in America and get them to the polls to win. At the end of the day, that's our job as a party. You know, our job is to go win. Uh, and, you know, I think that there's a measure of uh, accuracy to what you said in terms of what is now exciting people, the Republican electorate particularly. Uh, and, you know, I think, um, uh, I, I think the way things, issues have evolved now that we're talking about now, is promoting that kind of a backlash among conservatives and Republicans around the country to think that, you know, man, this stuff is getting so crazy. We, we need someone who just, you know, really, really seems like they, they, they want to go and, you know, take a stick to what the Democrats are doing. You, you know what I'm saying? In other sure. words, we're arguing about things now we wouldn't have taken a bet on five years ago that we'd be talking about now. Uh, and the more that the left tries to pull things and just radically, radically, liberal leftist directions, the more of a backlash that promotes against the rest, you know, promotes among the rest of the country. Uh, and sometimes that promotes just a feeling of, you know, I guess I'd say desperation. You know, like, look, this is just absolutely crazy. We have to find somebody who just wants to go stick it to them. And, you know, so there's a measure of that. There is. And I say that's prompted by our, our friends on the left. Drew, we historically have believed that campaigns are about winning hearts and minds. I'm of the opinion that's still a part of it. That's still an important ingredient. I mean, you talked about having good candidates articulating a sound message, but but I do believe that we've got to accept and maybe even embrace, and we're talking about morals and ethics and virtue and honesty and decency and integrity, but, but I believe the Democrats have flipped the model. I think COVID gave them an opportunity to win elections despite not winning hearts and minds and souls and, and, and you know, pronouncing or, or promulgating the best ideas, it was ballot harvesting. It was private financing of, of elections. I mean, are we ready to do that? Because I think a large share of our base says, hell yeah. I mean, it's time to fight fire with fire. So, yes. So, in other words, you're exactly right. Elections, to be at the bottom line, are about winning. Elections are about who gets 50% plus one. That's what the election is about. Now, we get a lot that goes into how we get there, and sometimes that changes from time to time, changes according to the issues, the styles of the candidates, and 
sometimes events and facts on the ground. But at the end of the day, elections are about winning. You know, losers don't get to make policy. They don't call the guy who lost and ask him what the tax rates ought to be, right? So how do we win? And that gets right back to your point. You know, we've got a lot of, you know, the, the Democrats use COVID in a lot of states to change the rules of the game. What are we doing to respond to that? Uh, as a matter of fact, the RNC this week uh, is rolling out a new program called Bank Your Vote, and they put together a website for bankyourvote.com. Uh, the whole point of it is, is to, depending on what state people are in, to keep them abreast of how they can vote early in their particular states. The more Republican ballots that we get cast before Election Day, pre-Election Day ballots all around the country, particularly in states not like South Carolina, let's just be honest about it, the better off we're going to be. Um, but, you know, typically hardcore Republicans want to vote on Election Day. They'll crawl across broken glass to vote on Election Day. The problem is, in a lot of states, like, say, Arizona or Nevada or some of those places, Republican precincts had mysterious problems on Election Day. Well, the machines were broken. Well, we had to combine precincts, and you got to drive across town to go vote now. The result is we lose some potential votes. When it comes to early voting, here's some statistics for you. In 2020, out of all the, the, the early votes cast in America, 30.5% of those were cast by Republicans. 408 were cast by Democrats. In 2022, Republicans were up to 33.5. Democrats were down to about 40.5. So we're getting a little better. We've got to get even better at it. That's not enough. I mean, say, when it comes to, if you look at in-person voting, for instance, Republicans won the early in-person voting in seven states. You know, we have in-person early voting in South Carolina now, in you know, this past cycle, uh, for 12 days. Republicans won early in-person voting in seven states last year in places where we lost the mail-in voting or the mail-in absentee balloting, places like Arizona, places like Georgia, places like Nevada. Those three states right there, three Senate seats we lost. So the point is doing more to get folks to get their vote in the bank securely <clears throat> so then Republicans, candidates, the party, et cetera, we've got more time to focus on what we call low-propensity Republicans, you know, the folks who, if they turn out and vote, they're going to vote Republican, but you got to poke them with a sharp stick to go get them to the polls. This gives us more time to do that and expand our base. And, Drew, you feel we've closed the gap on the Democrats? You think we're catching up? Are we catching up yes. fast enough? Yes. Well, we are, we are definitely catching up. Uh, and in places like California, for instance, you know, if you look back on the election last year, California and New York, those were the two states that gave us enough new Republican House seats, if you recall, to take back the Congress, I mean, the House of Representatives. Uh, nobody would have taken the bet that those two states would have given us those seats. How did we do it in those states, particularly in California? It was a Republican ballot harvesting operation. And they said put drop boxes in churches uh, in key congressional districts in California. Things like that that we're using the new rules that Democrats put in place in California against them. You know, if, if that's going to be the rules, then we're going to play by the rules. We're going to get better at these rules than you are. That's what we need. That's the mindset that we need. Last question. How do we turn the Seinfeld watcher? I, re, I mean, Limbaugh referred to as a low-information voter. I refer to as a Seinfeld watcher. How do we turn the Seinfeld watcher into a consistent Republican voter? Yeah, consistently, uh, that's a good question. you got to find the issues that they care about, for one thing. And then, as I mentioned a minute ago, you just about have to poke them with a sharp stick to get them to the polls. You need a better operation to do that, and that's what we're working on now. In twenty. 22. Last year, we had 80,000 people around the country that we signed up as poll watchers and workers. 
to secure the vote, now we have to get more of those people actually voting early and making it more convenient for them. If that means in a state where you've got ballot boxing, we have somebody go knock on their door, hey, you know, uh, we see you requested a uh, mail-in absentee ballot. Have you got it in yet? Do you have it there? You know, do you want to sign it here and, you know, I'll, I'll co-sign it for you or, uh, on the front of the, the envelope and we'll go get it in for you. Whatever the rules may be in that state, you have to go get them and you have to pester them. You know, just to be honest with you, you have to pester the heck out of them to get them to go vote. Uh, they're there, but they don't always vote. That's the problem. Last question. I said that was the last question. This is honestly the last question. <laughs> Can we in South Carolina be a victim of our own success? We've never been as successful yeah. as a party in South Carolina, but but it, it, it seems to me it's pretty easy to begin resting on your laurels and get ah, lackadaisical about the other party not competing on equal footing. That's the number one thing I talk about in counties all around the state when I go to speak there is do not get comfortable. We have to remember how we got where we are. A lot of people doing a lot of hard work uh, and running good campaigns. And the recipe doesn't change. And if we keep doing the same thing that we've been doing in that sense, we'll continue to be successful. If we get comfortable, we get lazy, we think it always happens, we don't have to work for it, or we think it's okay for us to start fighting among ourselves, then we're going to have a problem. Drew, that is very well explained. You are a great guest today. You did even better than normal. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate you taking the time. I mean that <laughs> seriously. I mean, you, you let us kind of behind the, the, the curtain of how these – I mean, a lot of people believe charismatic, articulate guys show up and they just win elections. No, that's not the story, guys. I mean, it, it takes a lot of hard work by people who don't get a lot of credit, aren't looking for a lot of credit, and, and Drew articulates that, I think, in a very understandable fashion. Thank you, my man. Appreciate that. Thank you, sir. And, and that's something that, you know, I, I understand. I mean, it's bored. I mean, it, it's boring. Um, I don't know how many GOP meetings I went to and hated every second of it. I mean, I, I'm one of you. You don't have to tell me what you're going to tell me for the next hour, but, but you owe it to those people who are willing to put out 20-yard signs or, or, or walk three neighborhoods or, you know, whatever it takes. Go, go, go sit in a, in a room in a cubicle for two hours, two nights a week and call the Seinfeld Watcher and remind them of the election and why you believe the candidate. And I, I've told Rev, I'll never forget going to the Clemson football game, big Gamecock fan here, uh, went with some Clemson buddies of mine, and I'm driving to the stadium in Death Valley. Well, that's in Baton Rouge, but anyway. Um, <laughs> and there are college kids, you know, standing out on, by, by the road with your name on a sign. And it's humbling. I mean, you feel undeserving. That's what it takes to win elections. Some people have the ability to run for office. Some have the ability to donate to candidates to run for office. But everybody has an ability to be active in what you believe in. And I mean, I've always told people it doesn't matter whether you like politics or not. I mean, that to me, that's that's uh, okay. You don't like it, I do. Politics will touch your life every day you live, in in in, in one way or another. Uh, I've, I've had people come up to me, man, I'm just not interested in politics. Don't want to be part of it. I, I don't, t- I don't mess with it. It doesn't mess with me. Oh, yes, it does. You will, you will bump into political decisions made by elected officials every day of your life. Why not have a hand in choosing people like-minded who share a worldview, who share a, a, a you know, kind of a mindset of government. I, I've just never understood those. And, you know, I understand finding peace and tranquility. 
and and kind of you know separating yourself from the confusion. I mean, my wife famously said, you know, the Taylor Swift song, "Why you got to be so mean?" I mean, why you want to be in a world where everybody's so mean? Well, I mean, that's just the the, the nature of um, competition. You want to win, I want to win. You have ideas and perspectives, I have ideas and perspectives. You put your name on a ballot, I put my name on a ballot. Drew was talking about the authenticity of Trump. Trump has another characteristic. He's a brawler, and Republicans don't believe they've had a brawler for a long time. I want to thank our sponsors. Carolina Bank serves communities throughout Northeastern South Carolina, offering a wide range of services to meet every personal or business need from straightforward accounts to complex finances. They're prepared to help you reach your financial goals. Carolina Bank, banking on tradition since 1936. Member FDIC Schofields, Ace Hardware, your one-stop shop for all hardware, paint and lawn and garden needs, plus all things sporting goods, including firearms, safes, clothing, footwear, and more. Pepsi of Florence represent the entire product line of PepsiCo, one of the world's leading food and beverage companies. Pepsi of Florence also serve brands from other great companies, such as Dr. Pepper, Canada Dry, Lipton Tea, Gatorade, and various regional brands. Mickey Finn's largest South Carolina liquor wholesaler, serving every county in the state, largest bourbon selection statewide. They ship wines to 43 states, opening soon a new beverage warehouse across from Bucky's on I-95 in Florence. They support USC athletics, including williams Bryce and Colonial Life Arena. Marlboro PD Electric Co-op, if you're in big business and looking for an industrial park in the south to build your new plant, consider Marlboro PD Electric Co-op's new PD Commerce Center, uh, an industrial park located at the I-95 exit in Florence, South Carolina. Check it out at mpdc.com. Co-op or PDEC.com.